Hi, this is Antonio Luich for Padded Cell Podcast, a conversation around mental health. So I'm here with uh, Cheryl, uh, who's the expert in the room. Uh, please introduce yourself. I'm Cheryl Johnston. I have a Master of Science in Psychology from the States, and I am a registered ASCHP counsellor, and I currently have my own private practice and do a whole lot of other things, like independent research all over the world. Uh, where is your practice based? It's based in Benmore Garden, Santon. Okay. I mean, uh, th- this, this is an important conversation that we're having now, given that last week we had a, a mother who came and she spoke about her son was suffering with depression now. And I know you have you have yet to listen to the podcast, but you will listen to it. That's why today we want to talk about uh, depression and ways to deal with it and, and how to spot the signs. So, um, I mean, from last week, we I had quite a number of people asking me, where can I get help? Where can I get help for uh, the, the feelings that I have for, um, you know, having listened to that podcast, there, there are some things that have been have been that have come up so where can people get help okay now there are a number of organizations and strangely enough a lot of people do not realize how much help is actually Mm. available Mm. so i'm going to give you some ideas which hopefully will help your audience Um, the south african federation for mental health their national office telephone number Mm. is 011-781-1852 they are able to refer you around the country to people who can help you for free mm-hmm. and to o- other organizations, by the way. Okay. There is the South African Depression and Anxiety Group, and they have a national helpline, which is 0800 21 23. Then there is Lifeline, which also has a national number, which is 0861. 322, 322. Mm-hmm. The point I need to make about the South African Depression and Anxiety Group, often known as SADAC mm-hmm. and Lifeline, is that they have a huge amount of resources available with regards to where you can get free help. Okay. And they can provide you with information in your particular area. Right. The last one I want to mention is a Facebook book group which myself and Zoe Wilson um, have been running for two or three years called Counselors in South Africa. Okay. Now we have a mix of counselors from all types of different boards such as the HPCSA and the ASCHP and currently we have over 1,500 counselors nationwide who are happy to do pro bono work. Okay. So to access us you would go to our website page, um, www.counsellorsnsa.co.za, and all you need to do is go to the contact page and ask to be referred to in your particular area. Okay. On top of that, you can get free assistance at government hospitals. All right. A lot of the government hospitals actually have psychiatrists who are available free of charge, as well as social workers and possibly psychologists. Mm -hmm. So those are some of your main go-to points. If you're having a problem or you think you're having a problem or you know somebody who's having a problem, these are extremely well-trained and qualified people who are available to assist you. 
Great. And uh, all this information is going to be available on our Facebook and Twitter and Instagram pages. So thank you for that. But um, uh, moving on from that, now that we know where we can get assistance, how can we? How can one spot the signs of uh, depression? I'm going to refer to a pamphlet that um, the South African Depression and Anxiety Group actually put together, purely because they've made it so simple, and yet it's so effective in picking up signs of when someone might be suffering with depression. Right. Okay. Um, for instance, feelings of sadness or emptiness most of the time, mm -hmm. loss of interest or loss of pleasure in hobbies and activities that the person actually enjoyed but for some reason don't seem to be engaging in anymore. Mm -hmm. Feelings of hopelessness about life, feeling helpless or having huge feelings of guilt all the time. Changes in your sleeping habits. When we talk about that, um, there's two ways it can go. You can have insomnia, which mm -hmm. means that you battle to sleep at night. Like me all the time. Or you have hypersomnia, mm -hmm. where you're actually sleeping excessively mm -hmm. all the time. Then you have things like fatigue, loss of energy, um, or you just feel sluggish. You, you just can't get going. Mm. Then you have thoughts of death or suicide. That does not necessarily mean that you're going to commit suicide mm. because sometimes we can fantasize about doing it because it's the easiest way out of a very painful life. Mm. But that doesn't mean that they go through with it. Okay, so that's, that's quite critical to clear up. Uh, suicide attempts are another sign. Right. Restlessness, irritability, anger. Now, often... Depression does not present in the same way in children and teenagers as it does in adults. So you have to be very, very careful um, when you consider symptoms like this. Mm. There is difficulty concentration. You have memory issues. Um, you have difficulty making decisions, for instance. Another sign is physical symptoms um, that don't respond to treatment. So, for instance, you've got constant headaches. They're not migraines, they're headaches. But no matter what the doctor gives you and you've gone to the GP and all the rest of it, your symptoms just don't clear up, mm -hmm. such as stomach pains, back pains, chest pains, etc. Okay. Okay. So those are just some of the symptoms. Now, someone can present with some of those symptoms and some of them can present with all those symptoms. The general recommendation here mm -hmm. is that if you think that someone has depression or you think you may have depression, there are so many other disorders that can also have similar symptoms right. that to self-diagnose is extremely dangerous. It is better to go to a professional, either a psychiatrist or a clinical psychologist, mm -hmm. for an official diagnosis. And as I said, you may be able to access those at a government hospital or a government clinic. Okay, and, and all the other places that you said that you can access them for free? Yes, you can access them for free. And they will then, in some cases, because they cannot give you a clinical diagnosis over the phone, mm -hmm. they'll refer you to where you could get one for free. Okay. okay. Right, I'm, I'm just going to pull out something that you mentioned, um, and it's also you know tying into the previous episode. Uh, suicide attempts. Um, how does one deal with that? Unfortunately, it's very much dependent on the diagnosis that you have. Suicide attempts 
are sometimes not just linked to depression, they can also be linked to other factors. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if someone does, please take it very seriously and send them for a clinical diagnosis mm -hmm. of what their actual disorder may be. Right. Because dependent on their disorder, there are going to be different treatments. Right. And quite often when, when, when there, there is a suicide attempt, when someone attempts to take their own life, uh, what we hear from most people is that this person is trying to, you know, get attention or uh, there's a lot of um, people tend to put these people down. They put people who have attempted suicide. I personally have attempt, attempted to take my life once before. Mm, so do you and and the, what came out of that was I'm trying to get the attention of people. I'm, I'm not actually trying to, I'm trying to reach out. Is that, is that something that, that you deal with often? In some cases, mm. there are different reasons why people attempt suicide. And sometimes they are not related necessarily to a straight depression case. Mm -hmm. um, there are other clinical diagnoses where attempts at suicide are related to other factors, which is why it's very difficult and one should not be judging mm -hmm. a person who does attempt suicide. What it is telling you is that there is a problem and mm -hmm. that person needs help and they need your support. Judgment does not assist in the situation. All right. And, and what kind of support can someone, uh, can people around you, can uh, the families and loved ones give to a person who has attempted suicide? There are all different kinds of support that you can provide. But once again, support is going to be very much based on what the actual problem is. It's, mm -hmm. it's like any medical condition or, or any psychological condition. Mm -hmm. The support that you give is going to be highly dependent on what type of disorder it actually is. Okay. So it's, you, it's very difficult to give a generalization. But in situations where people have attempted suicide, it's a good idea to get them help as quickly as possible, professional help. Professional help as yeah, quickly as absolutely. possible. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Well, um, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to talk more about uh, how to deal with depression in the absence of uh, professional help. Uh, because, I mean, uh, even though there are free services, there are moments when a person isn't able to access these services. That's a wonderful idea, right. and um, I hope they've got their pen and paper out. Okay, fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. back with uh, Cheryl who has been really helpful in trying to give us uh, a bit of an outline and, and things that we need to do in case we are depressed and in case we are having feelings of suicide and, and all that. Uh, but uh, now I just wanted to, to touch on how, how does one deal with depression if you do not have access to professional help? Okay, now this is where pen and paper is going to get really helpful. Yes. <laughs> but essentially, you have to manage your lifestyle. Uh -huh. Okay. The reason why, and amongst other things, because obviously I can't go into complicated scientific explanations in, in such a short period of time. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to do just the basics. Okay. But depression normally... Uh, results in low serotonin levels, which is a neurotransmitter in the brain, mm -hmm. and very elevated levels of cortisol. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, cortisol is a glucocorticoid, a steroid hormone that is produced in the body, which reacts to what we see as perceived threats from our environment. Okay. okay. Now, cortisol levels in depression are elevated. Um, so they're not the same level that an average individual will have. For approximately half of those with depression, their cortisol levels peak earlier in the morning. Mm-hmm. And unlike average individuals, it does not decrease in the afternoons or the evenings. Okay. Okay. Thus, uh, stress management lifestyle is very important. Right. Um, cortisol, as I said, is a stress-related hormone. Um, and if it continues over prolonged periods of time, okay, it can reduce what we call brain-derived neurotrophic factor, mm-hmm. And it can suppress stem cell production in the hippocampus, Mm -hmm. which can then result also, um, cortisol can also result in high blood sugar, high blood pressure. It reduces the effectiveness of your immune system, so you're more prone to illnesses. It increases fat storage in the body. And for instance, it affects serotonin levels, as, as I said before. So what I can do, if you'd like, is run you through various ways of handling your lifestyle so that you can reduce those cortisol levels and up your serotonin levels. Okay, please. Okay, so the first thing I'm going to do is give you some very, very practical information and try at the same time to give some explanations of what various things are, Mm -hmm. which I hope will help your audience. And I'll try not to get too academic. Please don't. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So there are different ways of naturally reducing your cortisol levels. Mm-hmm. One of the first ones is get six to eight hours uninterrupted sleep. Okay. Okay. Ooh, that's a tough one for me. <laughs> <laughs> it really works. Yeah. The minimum amount of time that you can go with uninterrupted sleep in a night is six hours okay. without your functioning being affected. Mm-hmm. Okay. Exercise. Okay. It's been shown that intense exercise, it increases your cortisol in the short term, literally just after the exercise, mm-hmm. but actually it, re- it, it actually reduces your cortisol level at night. Okay. Okay, it's, it actually helps to regulate your cortisol production. Right. Okay. Mindfulness lowers your cortisol level and actually ups your serotonin level. All right. What I mean by mindfulness is where you get out of your head space. Mm-hmm. You focus only on the present and on, on the actual moment. Now, a lot of people practice this, and you also regulate your breathing at mm-hmm. the same time. So you breathe in through your nose, you breathe out through your mouth. That helps to regulate the actions of your sympathetic nervous system. Mm-hmm. Okay. When you are doing that, okay, you're focusing, first of all, on your breathing. And when you're doing that, you're focusing on, uh, I know this sounds, sounds a little bit hysterically funny, but mm-hmm. it, it actually works, is grab whatever's in front of you. If it's an orange in the kitchen, or it's the lawnmower outside, okay. or it's your clippers and your garden, uh-huh. or whatever it may be, focus only on the present and try to keep out of your head space. Okay. On average, it takes approximately, if you're having an emotion that is is really intense, it can take 45 minutes 
for your sympathetic nervous system mm-hmm. to actually deactivate. Okay. Which will then bring your cortisol levels down. Right. So if I'm getting this correct, is whatever it is you're doing, just focus on the moment, focus on the present and try and get out of your head. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. But obviously, if what you're focusing on is this, is the source of the stress, yeah. then you need to find something else to uh, focus okay, on. Okay, perfect. Okay. It is, it is a form of meditation, isn't it? It's a yes. mindfulness meditation. Yes, it okay. is. Meditation also works. And in fact, there are scientific studies that indicate um, that your GABA levels are pushed up, which mm-hmm. is an inhibitory neurotransmitter in the brain, mm-hmm. as well as your serotonin levels. Okay. So... The moment your serotonin levels start coming up, you're combating the effects of your depression. Right. Because depression has a physiological base mm-hmm. and has an actual physiological effect on the brain. Okay. And we can alter that right. to some extent without, um, if, we, if we're not in a position yeah. to access mental health facilities. Okay. Okay. Thanks. So those are some of the most important ways of reducing cortisol. Now, if you're going to exercise, um, Martin Luther King said it best, if you can't crawl, if you can't run, walk. walk. If you can't walk, crawl. crawl. So even if you're not in a position to go gym it out, Mm -hmm. go for a walk around your garden for 45 minutes. Mm The one thing that's important with all the exercise that you do is that you vary your heart rate. Mm -hmm. So if you walk in, walk fast for a little short period of time Mm -hmm. and then walk slowly. If you're going to run, run slowly, run fast. So just make sure you vary your heart rate over those 45 minutes Mm -hmm. and do that at least three times a week. Okay. Because that also ups your serotonin levels. Okay. And reduces your cortisol at night. Okay. Okay. The other reason um, that exercise is important is it helps to induce brain-derived neurotrophic factor. Now, brain-derived neurotrophic factor, which I'm going to call BDNF from now because it's a bit of a mouthful, is essentially a neurotrophin. What neurotrophins do in the brain is they activate the production of stem cells which is neurogenesis, Mm -hmm. and also assist in neuroplasticity, which another word for is synaptogenesis. So Mm -hmm. all the connections between your various neurons in the brain are then encouraged to connect. Okay. Okay. And when you have depression, your cognitive functioning can be quite severely affected. Mm -hmm. So not only does it have a knock-on effect for you, Um, In your general health, it also affects your ability to function on a daily basis. Right. Okay. So it can um, actually counteract some of the impact of depression. At this moment in time, there's there's no real guideline as to how much exercise you need to do. Mm -hmm. So do everything in balance. Okay. Okay. Now... An interesting fact, which I think will, will help your, your audience as well, is that in your brain you have an area called your hippocampus. Mm-hmm. Now, your hippocampus plays a massive role in your short-term memory mm-hmm. and your learning abilities. In depression, it's very difficult to access the present moment. And because of that, you become stuck in your existing thought cycles. Mm -hmm. So your negative thinking patterns 
are very difficult to break if you cannot take in information from your environment and find new ways of processing that information. Mm-hmm. On a physiological level, cortisol reduces the stem cell production in your hippocampus. Mm-hmm. You know, you often see those people that they seem to be very flustered or they just seem to be not focused and they can't find their car keys or their handbag or they're going to a parking lot and they can't find their car. Mm-hmm. Often, the reason for that is that your cortisol levels are so high that they've reduced the production of the stem cells in your hippocampus, mm-hmm. so your memory is not functioning. Okay. So what we need to do, especially in cases of depression, is try to increase the production of stem cells in the hippocampus mm-hmm. so that you're able to access information in your environment. All right. Okay. And once again... Exercise, right. and there are also diets that you can use. Okay, okay, um, and ways of doing things. And you're going to see a repeated pattern across some of this. Okay, for instance, sunshine, just sunshine, oh. actually helps to increase BDNF. Music increases BDNF. Socializing increases BDNF. Um, a lot of the guys refer to the Mediterranean diet. Mm. because that helps to increase BDNF. But essentially, the factors from the Mediterranean diet, um, which help, which are actually easily accessible for anybody, no matter what their financial status is, mm-hmm. is lots of fresh fruit, mm-hmm. lots of vegetables, seafood, poultry, nuts, but not peanuts, whole grain legumes, but don't overeat. Okay. Sugar... And fats, normal fats, um, decrease your production of BDNF, Uh okay? Whereas olive oil, cooking with olive oil or coconut oil, um, eating chocolate, black pepper, Mm -hmm. turmeric, blueberries, green tea, bananas, leeks, onions, tomatoes, garlic, and lentils can actually increase your production of BDNF. Okay, I cook with all of that. So. The other thing that helps to increase BDNF is to fast one night a week. So don't eat after 6 o'clock in the evening and only eat the next morning when you wake up at about 7, 8 o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. That one day of fasting from 6 o'clock in the evening actually increases your BDNF How production. does it do that? Gosh, it's... A long, complicated <laughs> explanation, um, but it's related to the way the various um, chemicals and compounds in your body work. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, for instance, fasting can also increase your production of growth hormone, and via your your digestive system. And growth hormone actually induces and activates stem cells in the hippocampus as well. Okay. So there's a whole lot of good things around the occasional little fast, mm-hmm. and eating unrefined, healthy foods. Right, so I, I'm just going to ask about socializing. It's, it's one of the things that you mentioned there. Um, there are some of us who find it difficult to socialize, who find it difficult to relate to other people uh, and to be in the presence of other people. How, what advice would you have for those of us like that? Well, normally what I would say there is that, you know, you normally have maybe one, maybe two friends that you're really comfortable with. Mm-hmm. In those cases, try and spend a little bit of time with them, whether it's just on the phone, on social media, 
it's better face to face. But you know, you don't have to go out and become a party animal. Okay. All you have to do is really spend time with people that care about you right. and socialize with them. Um, you can socialize with cousins, with extended family members, with, with your family. It doesn't really matter. But so long as you're getting some kind of social input, mm-hmm. okay, that's that's critical. As long as you have someone. And, and yes. I know we spoke earlier, at, uh, I think one of the first episodes, that we are not alone. We, no man is an island. There's always that person that you can reach out to. Yes, absolutely. That is very, very true. Okay. We may feel, because depression is such a debilitating disorder, mm-hmm. we often feel that we are not capable of reaching out. And there is a lot of stigma attached to disorders like depression, especially in different cultures mm-hmm. where it's not seen as acceptable to have it. And as a result, people do not reach out in case they get seen as being weak or inferior in some way. Mm-hmm. And people don't understand that the disorder is not who you are. It is not your identity. Everybody has problems mm-hmm. in their lives. Our problems don't make us who we are. We choose who we are. It is rather like saying, if you have a medical condition, that that medical condition is who you are. It's the same principle. It's not who you are. Mm -hmm. So separate your identity from your disorder. You have a disorder, but you can manage it. Mm -hmm. The question is if you're able to perceive that it is not what makes you who you are. Okay. I mean, it's interesting that you say that because uh, one of the one of the main reasons for having this podcast is to get people talking to get people talking about their their conditions, talking about how they feel, talking about how uh, accepting the fact that they are going through depression and being able to reach out to people. And uh, and it's one of the things that we've noticed that, especially in the black African communities, we don't talk about uh, depression. We don't talk about it because of the stigma that is attached to it. Uh, and so what advice would you have for people who are not able to talk because of the stigma. I know you've just said that we, we need to separate uh, the condition from who you are. But what, what more can you give, uh, what more advice can you give? I'm, 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 I'm going to say this, and I, I hope it's not offensive, mm-hmm. but a lot of my clientele come from very diverse cultures and backgrounds. Mm-hmm. And I was sitting with a Zulu gentleman, and he turned to me and he said, as far as we are all concerned, therapy is for the white man. Hmm. It's a white person's thing. But wow, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> and there is also that stigma about going for therapy. Mm-hmm. Okay. There, you know, there is a lot of stigma around going for therapy when in fact therapy is for everybody. Mm-hmm. And in fact, it helps you to become a stronger person and to give you that sense of well-being, that you know how to manage, you become more confident about, I can cope, I can do this, Mm -hmm. when you have the right support. Okay. So just do not fear to go to therapy. Don't don't fear it. You know, there are a lot of fantastic therapists out there, wonderful, caring, you know, human beings who 
if only you spoke to them, mm -hmm. would be able to help you to move forward. Oh, fantastic. Mm. So we're going to end with, uh, I'm going to pose a question to you. And it's, it's basically, what, what do you think should be the one thing that, you know, we've spoken a lot about, we've spoken a lot about depression and, 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 and suicide. And what is the one thing that you would want the listeners, those listening to get out of this conversation? Well, lifestyle. You're not going to feel like socializing. You're not going to feel like eating the right foods. Eat lots of natural produce. Eat lots of high protein. Okay. Those things alone contribute mm -hmm. to your depression. Exercise. Look at your lifestyle. See where unnecessary pressure is being placed on you and adapt your lifestyle so that you can manage your depression. Mm -hmm. Because when you're on your own and you can't access mental health services, your lifestyle is going to be the most critical factor. Fantastic. So lifestyle, just look at the things that you're doing in your life and, and change them for the, for the better to help you improve, increase your serotonin levels. Etc. Yes. Fantastic. <laughs> so I'm learning here as well. Uh, and thank you so much for joining us for this episode. And um, I will definitely reach out to you again and you can talk more about... I know we can't actually cover mental health in a 30-minute podcast. No, it's a bit difficult. <laughs> it is a bit difficult. So we will definitely reach out to you again uh, for... Uh, you know, further discussions, further conversations, given the fact that we are talking to very many different people. So, yeah. There's if one you, comment you I'd like to make, right. um, and that's to those of them, you know, those of your listeners that are, that are suffering. Mm -hmm. You're not alone. It takes a whole village to help. Access the village. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for that. It's a pleasure. Now I feel less alone. <laughs> thank you, thank you. And thank uh, you for having me. It, it's, it's been a pleasure, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. If you or someone you know is in crisis and needs help, please reach out. Visit the South African Depression and Anxiety Group website or the SA Federation for Mental Health, where you will find comprehensive mental health information and resources to help you, a family member or a loved one. Also follow the podcast on Twitter at PaddedCell underscore P-O-D or Facebook PaddedCell Podcast or Instagram at PaddedCell.POD for more information. <laughs>